Well, good evening, Christian Fellowship Church and guests and friends. Uh, for our reflection on Scripture tonight, uh, I'm keeping it in line with a series we've been doing on tough questions that have been submitted, and we've been using those questions as topics to address from Scripture. And tonight's topic is how do we view the humanity of Christ? But that's a, that's a broad question. And so I thought, how do we make that question a little more specific? And I don't know why I did this to myself, but I thought one way to make it uh, more specific would be to ask, um, if Jesus is fully God, truly God, and truly man, in what way was he tempted? Or you can ask, could Jesus sin? Now, as I'm preparing this message and thinking about how to explain this tonight to the best of my ability, I think we'll also leave here with some questions because we're pushing up on the edge of mystery. But it is relevant and it's important. And some of it, I think, might feel like, man, it's kind of a, a mental exercise in theology. Well, that's good. But our hearts need it too. Remember many years ago, I think I was in my first year at Moody Bible Institute. I was invited to a church, a, a get-together of young adults, uh, some kind of rough teens in inner city Chicago. And I remember one guy showed up to this group that never came to church. Everybody knew him. I had not met him yet because he never came to church, never came to any outings. Or for some reason, he came to this Bible study. And I don't remember what the Bible study was about, but I remember he just was kind of disgruntled the whole night, you know. And then afterwards, he, remember, he, he kind of went after me. I think I was leading the Bible study. And then he went after me, and, and here's what he said. He said, you know, God expects us to avoid temptation and to not fall into temptation. And he points to Jesus, saying Jesus beat temptation, but he couldn't have really been tempted. Jesus can't really know what my life is like. Jesus can't know what temptation is like because he's God. Of course he doesn't sin. So it's not fair. It's not fair to expect that of me. He doesn't know my life, all right? And I think he never showed up to church again. Now, of course, that's his excuse to avoid the gospel, right? But it's something he latched onto. And I don't remember what I said to him that night, but I think it's important for us to wrestle with that question. If Jesus is truly God and he's truly man, in what way was he tempted? In what way uh, did evil approach him? And was he, did he feel that pull? And I'm going get to get to just in a moment why that's so important. But let's just establish fact number one, God can't sin. So I just wrote a few things down. You're probably familiar with these, but remember Isaiah 6, that throne room scene? God is holy, holy, holy. The angels can't even look at him. Habakkuk 1, God's eyes are too pure to even look at evil. Psalm 11, God is righteous and he loves righteous deeds. 1 John 4, God is love, twice in that chapter. Then Titus 1, God always keeps his promise. He never lies. God always keeps his promise. He never lies. So as we see scripture after scripture about the character, the nature of God, what God, what makes God who he is, is not just his power and omnipotence, he's good and he's righteous and he loves righteousness and he'll never break a promise, he'll never lie. It's not just that he doesn't do it, he can't do it. Hebrews 6, God cannot lie. 2 Timothy 2, God cannot deny himself. God can't sin. And so that's something for us to grapple with. There are things that God cannot do. He cannot do the illogical. He can't make a square circle. He can't make a married bachelor, you know. These are just stupid exercises and thought that some people come up with. 
But God doesn't do that. And more to the point, he can't deny himself and his own purity, so God can't sin, okay? So we can establish that pretty easily from Scripture. But this means that if Jesus is truly God, Jesus can't sin. But, but not only is God incapable of evil, he's incapable of being tempted. So we're going to look at two passages tonight, and the first passage will be in uh, the book of James. The book of James, right in chapter 1. You can turn there. I think we'll put it up on the screen for you uh, tonight. God doesn't sin and he can't be tempted by it, James says in chapter 1, verses 13 to 15. Let's look at that briefly. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it, is, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, gives forth death. So you see James rolls out this process of what temptation looks like for the fallen human person. God doesn't experience that. God doesn't have an evil desire inside him so, to which he wants to do things. So God cannot sin. And he can't be tempted by evil, and he doesn't tempt anybody by evil. Anytime we sin, we can't pin that on God. Okay, So that's James' point. We can't pin it on God because God would have to be evil to tempt someone to evil, or God would have to be tempted to tempt you, and he can't even be tempted. So that you can never say God tempts you. So God is pure, cannot sin, cannot be tempted. But Jesus was tempted. There's the issue. Jesus was tempted. You remember uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's sweating, he's uh, sorrowful to the point of death, he tells the disciples. It doesn't quite say that in the Garden, when Jesus is getting ready to be arrested, that he was being tempted, but he does tell the disciples, wake up and pray so that you don't fall into temptation. And you can read between the lines, if Jesus is ever tempted, he's probably tempted in that moment. We can guess that, surmise that. But we know for sure he was tempted in the wilderness, right? Back in the, early, in the early portions of the gospel, the spirit leads him out into the wilderness. Who tempts him? Satan, right? The devil tempts him at three different points at least. Uh, Jesus is fasting this 40-day fast. The devil tempts him to cut the fast short, turn some stones into bread, and eat. Uh, the second temptation is to show his glory by from the top of the pinnacle of the temple, throw himself down, angels catch him, Presumably, so everyone can see it and go, wow, Jesus is great. Shortcut to glory. Shortcut to eating in the first one. And the third one would be a shortcut to gaining the kingdoms of the world. Uh, The devil takes him to a mountaintop, shows him all the kingdoms of the world. And he goes, hey, I'll just give these to you. No fight. No no cross. No winning it through redemption kind of stuff. Just I'll just hand it over to you, but you bow to me. Shortcut to being a king. And Jesus resisted all those temptations. The devil went away and then angels ministered to Jesus um, because he was, he just won this fight, right? So God cannot be tempted, but Jesus is God. Jesus was tempted. And that's what, that's what I want to unpack for us. And I want to tell you why it's important in, in a few moments here. It's not just a good question to ask. It's not just a theological conundrum. It's important. The Bible tells us it's important. 
So if God can't be tempted and Jesus was God and God and Jesus was tempted, how do we put those two things together? Now, throughout history, some people just, well, let's just drop one. Jesus isn't fully God then. We saw last week he is divine. Uh, you might say, well, let's drop the humanity piece, but that's the hardest one to drop, right? Because he was born, he, he ate, he grew, he grew in wisdom, he grew in stature, he grew physically, he got tired, he slept, he ate food, uh, he got killed, <laughs> he was tortured. I mean, he was obviously, he was a human. He wasn't pretending to be hurt when he was punched and slapped and beard was plucked. He, this was a real baby in, in the manger. It wasn't an illusion. So he's divine, he is deity, and he's human. So here's how I think we can unravel this a little bit. God obviously cannot be tempted in his deity, but Jesus was tempted in his humanity. And that's what we're talking about. Every Christmas, that's what we're talking about, that God became flesh. What does it mean that he was human? That he is human, by the way, that he is human. He didn't ascend and just leave his body behind. He is, right now, human. But while he walked the earth, he did experience temptation even though his deity couldn't be tempted, he did experience that in his humanity, and that's the connection with us. That's the connection with us. Theologians, some theologians have differentiated between two different kinds of temptation. There's like an, an innocent kind. You've got no issues, but something comes, out, comes at you externally. And then there's the sinful kind of temptation, which is you already have, like James describes, there's a desire there already. So when the temptation comes knocking... It's just pulling on this evil desire that already resides in you. It's, us, it's difficult for us to think about that first category because like we saw in James, there's always, that, there's always some kind of motive, some kind of desire that makes that sinful action palatable. I kind of want to do that. Even if most of me doesn't want to do it, there's this battle within me because I kind of do want to do it. You know, There's something inside me that I want to lie so that I don't have to, you know, so that I don't have to face up to this other thing I did. I, I want to cheat or steal or do this other thing because there's some other ulterior motive. Well, Jesus doesn't have any of those inside of him, but he can experience, experience temptation externally. So think about, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, Adam and Eve in the garden. They were innocent and tempted, right? So there's an external temptation coming at them. And I think what Satan is taking advantage of there is a kind of weakness. We don't know exactly where that line was. When did they sit in their heart and go, you know what, I'm doing it. But there was some weakness there that Satan was taking advantage of and going, God is up here, you're down here. He's in control, you're not. He has all the knowledge, all the truth, and you don't. But if you eat this fruit, you'll have that knowledge and you won't need to be so dependent anymore. You're weak right now, but then you can be strong. Shortcut to strength. And so Adam and Eve, were they human? Yeah, they were human. So in their innocent state, they still were able to experience temptation from the outside. And because of their weakness, the temptation seemed like it had a pull on them, even though they didn't have sin until they bit that first lure of temptation. Okay? So Jesus can be perfectly innocent and still tempted externally, even though he doesn't have sin inside of him, but he still has human weaknesses. Like when he's fasting, he's really hungry. Does he know what it's like to be hungry? Yes. Would it be really good to turn those stones into bread? Yes. On another occasion, would it be perfectly fine to eat bread? Yes. But in that moment, it wouldn't be okay. 
And it was tempting because he was weak because he was hungry. And then the other two temptations, hey, shortcut to glory or shortcut to the kingdom, what would he be dodging there? In his weakness, he knows he's going to suffer to get those kingdoms, his kingdom. He knows he's going to suffer to get glory, right? He would be dodging the suffering, and in his weakness, he knows what it's like to be tempted to not do the hard thing and do the easy thing instead. He knows that pull. So when we think about Jesus being tempted in this sort of innocent way, it's still a real temptation. And let me show you that quickly from Hebrews chapter 4. It's just the book prior. We'll also put this up on the screen for you. And here's the point I want to score with you tonight. We need to understand that Jesus experienced real temptation. Here's why. Because it's how he's able to offer himself as a true substitutionary sacrifice on our behalf. That's why it matters. What I should have told that dude that night was, hey man, (laughs) if he didn't experience real temptation, then he wouldn't be able to substitute for our obedience. His obedience wouldn't be able to be swapped for our obedience because he didn't experience it. We see that in Hebrews chapter 4, right at the end, that last little paragraph, actually the first paragraph kicking off chapter 5, but it's the last few verses of chapter 4. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Going this way, right? So he did his work and then went up into the heavens to present us to God. The Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession, what we believe about this truth. For we do not have a high priest who was unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every way or in every respect has been tempted as we are. He was tempted, and he did feel it. Even though he doesn't have the inward evil desire that James talks about in chapter 1, that's fallen us. Adam and Eve didn't have that before they bit the fruit. Jesus didn't have it either because he was sinless. But that doesn't mean he didn't feel temptation because there it is right there. He's not unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And so when we look at that verse right there, we see that it's important to understand how crucial this question is for his high priestly ministry. Y'all remember what a priest did in the Old Testament? Everybody sins, so something sinless has to die. Something that didn't do those sins has to die. Well, who, you look around the camp of Israel, who, who's it going to be? We all have sins. Even the priest had a sacrifice for his own sins, so they used an animal. The animal didn't do those sins. The animal didn't commit adultery. The animal didn't steal that thing. And so they killed the innocent animal as a sacrifice. Who would offer that? The priest would offer that. But the difference is Jesus, rather than offering an animal, an animal can't pay the price that an, a human owes, A human has to pay the price that a human owes, but a human that is guilty himself can't pay someone else's because he's got to pay his, right? So Jesus is the perfect high priest because he offers himself, not an animal, and he offers himself sinless. But the author is saying it's not just he's just sinless because he's God. He's sinless even after being tempted to sin. He 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 persevered through it. He experienced the challenge of it and survived it. And that's why verse 15 is true. 
verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What kind of need? I need a car, I need a house. No, you're weak and you're struggling with temptations, right? And you're not supposed to go, well, God is up there with his arms folded going like, well, he's like, ask me for help. I understand what you're going through. The opposite of what this guy was telling me in Chicago all those years ago. He doesn't understand. He does understand. And you know what you should do, man? Rather than trying to be perfect on your own, you should take it to God and bank on what he's done for you through Jesus Christ because he does understand You'll notice that this doesn't say that Jesus sympathizes with our sins. Jesus sympathizes with our desires for sin, our evil desires. No, no, no. But our weaknesses, yes. Our weaknesses, yes. And in every respect, this doesn't mean he was tempted in every single way. Jesus couldn't, can't be tempted to click on the wrong internet page. I mean, he can't literally have been tempted in every single way we're tempted, but the categories of temptation, yeah, they were there. Yeah, there was money around, there was women around, there was lots of ways to cheat, lie, steal, lots of shortcuts to take, and he didn't. And he understands the weakness and the frailty of humanity, and you remember how... how in tune he stayed with the Father. Every, he was tired, he'd withdraw to the mountain and pray, right? As he's waiting his arrest, he's not like, come get me. You know, Molin Labe, you know, come and get it. He's praying. Why? Because he's weak. That doesn't mean it was possible for him to sin. It means that he experienced the challenge of standing up to sin. He did experience that. And because he experienced it, He's able to sympathize with our weaknesses and every temptation we experience, we know Jesus had some, that category, basically, uh, Jesus experienced in every respect. So here's the application for us for Christmas this year. We can't say, you know, easy for God to expect me to be pure. He's God. <laughs> we, we can't say that. Because through Jesus, our weaknesses and temptations are personally understood by God. He understands that. Now, he still expects you to obey. It's kind of like when parents tell kids, hey, I know this temptation seems new to you, like it just popped into the world last year, but I was a kid once too. And even though we didn't have apps and we didn't have phones in our pockets, the temptation came to us this way, and we had to fight it too. It's not new. I understand it's hard. I understand it's hard to have a curfew or some friendships you have to break off because they're not good for you. I understand that. I was there. But just because I was there doesn't mean I don't expect it of you. In fact, even more so, I expect you to obey. So God sympathizes, but that doesn't mean God is like, just do whatever then. In his sympathy, he still calls us to obey. And so we can draw near to him for help rather than... uh, feeling like he's distant from us and unable to sympathize and just giving us orders that he doesn't understand. We also can't say, well, of course Jesus didn't sin. He's God in a way that sort of dismisses his true humanity. But he is truly human and did truly experience weaknesses. Even if his deity is how he overcame it and was obedient, he still felt the challenge. This might be a silly illustration, but, you know, 
I play Scrabble once in a while, and I'm not really that good. So it's not hard to imagine. I come across somebody who's a world champion, and one-on-one Scrabble, and this world champion just absolutely obliterates me. Okay, I just I lose so bad, I'm I'm driven to tears. All right. Uh, imagine after that match, I go, hey, of course this player obliterates me. He's a world champion, was born with a higher IQ than me, uh, had parents that taught him Scrabble from the age of five. I just learned a few years ago. So, of course he wins. Now, does that mean the, the win doesn't count? He doesn't get the W now because he has advantages? No, it's still, it's still a win. Why? Because he played within the rules. He used the, the same tiles. He used the same dictionary. He used the same language. It's the same game, Right? Even though it was really impossible for him to lose that match, it was still a challenge in the sense that he had to show up to the game, play within the rules, use the same tiles, use the same dictionary, master the language, memorize words to win. So we don't say, well, of course Jesus was sinless. He's God. He has this big advantage. Yeah, he leveraged the advantage to win. And the big difference is Jesus doesn't win to beat you He wins to save you. Who am I to go, well, Jesus had this big advantage. Like, I'm going to discount him doing something that I could never do for my benefit is for our benefit. Yeah, he used his advantage. He used this advantage to beat the system, so to speak, right? For our salvation so that he can operate as a priest and bring us into peace with God. That's how he did it. That's how he does it. So as we think about Christmas this year, we need to remember that Jesus Christ can sympathize with us. God, through the experience of Jesus, God the Son, understands our weaknesses, but he, com- he, he prompts us to draw with confidence near to him, near to his throne. Why? So we can receive mercy, so we can find grace to help in the time of need. Do you feel needy? I think so. I do. Anything you're struggling with, every time some situation in your life exposes your weakness, we temp- we're tempted to kind of hide under the rug and pretend like it's not there. God is like, bring it to me because I get it. I get it, but don't ignore it. Bring it to me. And I've made a way for that to be taken care of. It's through repentance and recognizing we fail and then latching on to that confession of Jesus Christ, he is the true high priest who's able to do it for me, take me into a peaceful relationship with God, and then we explain that to others in our lives as proclaimers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray.